0: All right, this morning, continuing in uh, this overview of Romans in chapter 5, Justification's Joy. But first, setting the tone, Paul says in chapter 1 that I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is not ashamed. He is eagerly obliged to the gospel. a gospel that is the power of God. Unto salvation. The righteousness of God revealed, the wrath of God revealed against men who, in their ungodly character and unrighteous action, would suppress the truth and replace God with something more comfortable. But instead of coming in wrath only, he comes in righteousness and salvation. Men are enslaved to their own desire. They're in desperate need, not just of an offer of salvation, but of an actual Savior, The means of this salvation, Paul says, is not the things of men. It's not religion. It's not the law of Moses or righteous works done by us. In fact, Paul says that the law exists specifically to expose sin and to show us that we are desperate for a Savior. But instead, the means of the salvation is by faith and for faith. That the source of salvation's righteousness is from faith and the purpose of our righteousness is faith. Salvation's end is redemption, the ransoming back of His people to Himself, accomplished very particularly through propitiation, ransoming the demand for our lifeblood with the lifeblood of Christ. So that Paul can say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He puts Him forth as the payment for the sins of men, because in former generations He had looked over sin in order that He might not only be the justifier of men, but that He might be just in doing so. Paul recalls our father in the faith, Abraham, He tells us of the miraculous power. Yes, the miraculous power. Heaven forbid that we sell salvation as an altar call. A choice to be talked into, a bill of goods to be sold. It is the miracle of God. By which Abraham believed God and in believing, his faith was reckoned to him as being more than it actually was. He believed and his faith was reckoned. It was counted as righteousness. A righteousness that he did not have of his own accord. But it was given him by the power of God. And you can't preach Romans without preaching faith. and it is grace through faith by which we are saved. You can't preach the gospel without preaching faith. Without faith, there is no salvation. And yet, it is not faith that is powerful unto itself. Instead, the power lies in the One in whom we believe. It's His power. It's His ability. It is a God... Who calls life from death and something into existence where nothing previously existed? The gospel is from faith and it is for faith. It is coming from somewhere and it is going somewhere. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, where the gospel is going, therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Therefore, now look, what we're going to talk about today is nothing short of miraculous joy. Nothing short of it. I'll confess to you, I do not have the ability to enumerate what this joy actually is. You either know it or you don't. As a matter of fact, the best I can do is just read what the Scripture says about it and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. I don't have the ability to confer to you what the depth of this joy is. But I will say this before we begin. There is a prerequisite. There is a therefore. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Man, what you'll hear today is nothing short of good news. Man, this is this is it. This is the good news of the gospel. This is, this is where it is going. But hear me, friend, it only applies to you if you've been justified by faith. That's the only way. And if you haven't, then nothing that is going to be said today that is so good, none of it applies to you. It only applies to you if you've been justified by faith. Here's the good news. If you haven't been justified by faith, that justification comes as the free gift of God to you. The free gift of God to you. all you have to do, all you have to do is take it. You're in desperate need. Not of an offer of salvation. You're in desperate need of a Savior. Be justified by faith. Man, believe. All the rest will come. He is faithful. He grants repentance. He gives us the gift of faith where we do not have it. Man, the power is not in the believing. It's in the one in whom you believe. Therefore, having been justified by faith by the one who is both just and the justifier. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and through Him we also have obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Friends, justification comes with a whole load of baggage. And it is all profoundly good. In this we have peace. In this we stand where we would otherwise most certainly succumb. In this we rejoice. In this we rejoice. Man, faith comes from somewhere. It's going somewhere. In this we rejoice. And that rejoicing may be different than we might at first think. The Greek here means to boast. To glory in. To exult in. As a matter of fact, it's used about 36 times. Well, not about. It's used 36 times in the New Testament. 32 times it's translated as boasting. Only three times, and all of them here in Romans, is it translated as rejoicing. And one time it's translated as glory, the bulk of what is being said here is being spoken of as in this we boast, in this we brag, if you will. I think the problem is obvious. We typically view boasting as being a bad thing, and rightly so. It normally is, but not always. As a matter of fact, Paul speaks specifically about boasting being both good and bad, when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 28 through 31. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 28, Paul says that God has chosen what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And So God has chosen in His providence, He has planned that things would go a particular way specifically so that no human being might boast in his presence. his boasting is bad. God chose what is low and despised in the world even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God and because of him You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So to paraphrase quickly, Paul says, God has done things with the Gospel. He's done things with salvation in a certain way so that it all comes from Him so that when men stand before Him, they will not have one single thing to boast about. This is what Paul's been talking about in the book of Romans he says what then if it is by faith if it is a gift what then becomes of our boasting it is null and void so when you boast boast in the Lord don't boast do boast the fact of the matter is is scripture talks about boasting that is bad that is boasting in men our ability what we can do And boasting that is good, boasting that is based in God and centers in what God does and not what man does. And when Paul reaches down and kind of grabs this gear metaphorically, he's reaching all the way back to the prophet Jeremiah. He's reaching all the way back to Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23 through 24. Where the prophet writes and enlightens us even more and says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, The understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So here you have Paul paraphrasing Jeremiah. And he says, okay, here's the deal. Don't let man boast in himself. God has particularly done these things in exactly the way He has done them. This is by grace, through faith. And this faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God by which you are justified in order that no man may stand and boast before the Lord. This is not the 99% 1% plan. This is the 100% plan. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's His. He saves us. He doesn't offer us salvation alone, but He offers us salvation and then affects our salvation so that we are saved. Salvation belongs to Him. So we stand before Him and we'll have nothing to boast in except for what He has done on our behalf. And so, here's Paul saying, God did it this way so that you wouldn't boast in yourself, but instead when you boast, boasting is good as long as it's in the right place, boasting God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to boast in the Lord? Well, Paul expects that the reader will be familiar with Jeremiah. And so here is what boasting in the Lord looks like. Does it mean saying, hey, my God's better than your God? My theology is superior to your theology? No. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The boasting in the Lord that Paul is speaking about is not primarily fixated on the thing that God has done for you. It is primarily fixated on the fact that you know God. That He knows me. You want to boast? You want to boast for real? It's not simply boasting in what God has done for you. I've got to tell you in America that we are fixated in the American gospel today with what God's going to do for me. if I'll do X, y and Z, then He'll do A, B and C. Guys, the, the boasting of the gospel is not what God is doing for us. The, the boasting that results in rejoicing of the gospel is that we know Him. That is the prize. The prize is not something we receive from Him apart from Him. The prize is that we know Him. In this, all of the hopes of mankind are held. Good boasting is boasting that knows God. A relationship of salvation. It is what Jesus talked about in John chapter 17, verse 3, when He said, this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Man, you want to rejoice? Know him. Know him. For this is eternal life. Boast in the fact that you know him. Boast in the fact, he tells Jeremiah, that you understand something of him. For in this he provides joy and the strength of sanctification. Man, in Psalm chapter. 119, and it's a big one. We won't read the whole thing. In Psalm 119 and verse 27. The psalmist says it like this. Make me understand the way of Your precepts, and I will meditate on Your wondrous work. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Not just memorize them so that I can spit them out by rote, but that I'm able to grasp not only what you say, but the intention of your heart in what you are doing, because I know the One who is saying, and I know the One who is doing. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to Your Word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me Your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set Your rules before me. I cling to Your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of Your commandments when You enlarge my heart. Let me understand your precepts. Show me your ways. I won't only do your commandments, I will run to them. When you do something to me that I cannot do myself, when you enlarge my heart. Friends, the the prayer... The prayer of a lost man who is being affected by the gospel that leads to the moment of his justification is the prayer that, in all honesty, says, Lord, my heart does not want, make me want. Make me want. Enlarge my heart. Then, man, then I will run. Forget about just being willing. Forget about the good old college try. Then I will run according to your command. You know, if you look, and golly guys, I'm, I'm going to quit complaining about this because I don't want to be trite, but man, trying to preach an overview of Romans is, <laughs> is tough. There's just so much there. You want to talk about rejoicing? You want to really be there where we can say that since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand and we rejoice, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Scripture has so much to say. If you look to the Old Testament, this particular word that's used here in the Greek is used just it's only used 36 times in the New Testament. It's used over and over and over in the Greek translation, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Man, and, and this, this word it, it it just grabs this huge spectrum of thought. It gets translated as to boast, to glorify, to exult, to triumph, to multiply, to laud, to call loudly. To admire, to say. Man, I like that one. To say. And you want to talk about rejoicing, you want to talk about boasting. If you can take this concept of rejoicing and boasting and boil it down to a simple statement, it is a man who is firm in his rejoicing where what he says can simply be his rejoicing. To say to hallelujah. You see, this concept, without going into an hour-long exegetical proof, this concept of rejoicing is a proclaiming that is compelled by the delight of that which is proclaimed. C.S. Lewis talked something along those lines. When he considered philosophically why it is that people like to boast in the things that they love why people like to talk about the things that they find joy in he wrote a whole chapter on it it's a fascinating read you know most of the time with lewis you've got to kind of eat the fish and spit out the bones but man when he's talking about joy and rejoicing the guy's just spot on he's a brilliant mind And he talks about rejoicing. And and Lewis said, I I considered to myself, why is it that people are so intent on speaking about that which they enjoy? I think this has profound implications for why we do or don't proclaim the gospel as often as we should. He said, man, you, you consider it doesn't matter. Lovers like to proclaim their love for each other. People that collect stamps love to talk about collecting stamps. This is why people have clubs that are based around hobbies. People like motorcycles. Therefore, there are motorcycle clubs. My grandmother liked to quilt. She belonged to a quilting circle. Lewis said, I've observed all of these things that people do and they always love to talk about the things they love. And why is that? And he boiled it down to this. And he said, I suppose... that joy is not fully fulfilled until it is expressed. That you will never have the fullness of joy in anything that you are joyful about until you are able to proclaim that joy to others. When you look at this concept in Scripture, that grabs it better than anything else. The concept of rejoicing because we are justified by faith is that we rejoice as a proclaiming that is compelled by the delight of that which we proclaim. That you just love to talk about it. The old, old story. It is not, when you you talk about boasting in the Lord, it is not the haughty boast of the spoiled brat. It's the bride delighting in her groom And it overflowing into praise. It's the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, where the king said in his writing about the bride, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. I'll run after your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Let's run. Draw me after you. Let us run. The King has brought me into His chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Let us run let us run when you enlarge my heart I'll run after your commandments let us run this is what it means this is what it means to boast in the Lord this is what it means to rejoice because you've been justified by faith friend and if you haven't been justified by faith you don't have a clue what I'm talking about I'm not insulting you I'm not speaking down to you I am urging you run he gives freely and it is not some cheap trinket it is not moving your name from one list to the other it is not insurance for the day that you will most assuredly follow after your father Adam and drop dead it is none of that it is knowing the only one who is worth knowing. It's understanding the heart of God. it's, It's not just following the precepts. It's understanding who the precept maker is and why therefore He makes them. And they are good. Jesus said this about overflowing joy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. Friend, when he gets a hold of you, oh man, it's hard, especially at first. Nobody likes conviction. He's holy. We're not. I mean all you gotta do is read Isaiah chapter six. It gets rough quick. He's good. Oh, he's just literally a holy terror. That's where the word, that's where the concept comes from. Oh, he's just He's a justifier. What a statement. He's the justifier. Having been justified by faith, which would not be worth a plug nickel, except for the fact that the one you have faith in is faithful and able. Having been justified by faith, we boast. We rejoice not in what we do, lest we show ourselves to be fools. Instead, we boast in Him, And not in simply what he's done for us, but in the fact that he has seen fit in the mercy of his grace to allow us to know him. The only thing worth knowing. So that where before, all we did out of our hearts was produce evil and evil and evil, out of the miraculous new creation that comes with justification, a good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. We're adopted through Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance. An inheritance of all that is good. So that it can be truly said that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In this we rejoice. Having been justified by faith, we boast in the fact that we know Him. We run after Him when He enlarges our hearts. It informs every single thing we do. If you cannot look at Scripture and rejoice and boast in the Lord in every single bit of it, then your sanctification is not yet complete. And I'm right there with you. <laughs> right there with you. But let me tell you something, it's not God's problem. It's mine. It's yours. Man, you got to love it. You know, I don't like cheesy examples because they're cheesy. you got to love it when God gives you a good one. My phone rings this morning at 10 till 5. You know what I'm good for at 10 till 5? An attitude. <laughs> Typically, what I'm good for at 10 till 5. Now look, the fact of the matter is, is when you're the pastor and your phone rings at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you don't necessarily have to answer it. Not necessarily. I mean, the fact of the matter is, 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 is you can't. Not always. And you're going to cut one conversation off to have the other. When it rings at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you let it go if you need to, and you call them back. When it rings at 3 in the morning, you answer it. This is something that every pastor knows. You, you, you it Inherently, man, the thing goes off at, at, at 5 minutes till, or 10 minutes till 5, you answer it. No matter if you know the number or not. Because they may be on the side of the road calling from someone else's phone. And so the phone rings this morning. And I answer it. And... Uh, it's an out of state call. I don't wanna I don't want you to think any of our Sunday school teachers are trying to prep for Sunday school at five minutes till five. None of us would do that. We all have it done a week in advance, right? <laughs> Man, I brought the notes to Ethan this morning and handed them to him before Sunday school started and he looked at me like I was crazy. Phone rings. Out of state call. Pastor Brian getting ready for a Sunday school lesson. And I don't know what to do with it. Okay, man, what you got? Genesis chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it, and from every man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. All right, what's the question? Pretty straightforward. You know, God's jealous for His name. He's jealous for Himself. He's jealous for His image. He put His image in man in a very particular way. And in some way that we don't understand... God took the life that was in Him. This is John chapter 1. In Him was life and the life was the light of man. He took the life that was in Him. He conveyed it to us in some way that we don't understand. He chose to take spiritual, eternal life and seat it physically in the blood. And because He chose to seat that life in the blood where particularly with man, it is life in His own image. Even with the animals, you're not to consume this thing because he is jealous for the life that is his, that he's put in it, and it belongs to him, that he may make atonement for your souls on the altar. But man, he's particularly jealous for men. His image. His imprint. So here's the story. You don't consume blood because the life is in it. And if you shed the blood of a man then he is codifying the fact that, in turn, your blood should be shed. Capital punishment. Not a novel idea. Been around for a long time. Here it is. God's jealous. Man, stuff belongs to him. Life belongs to him. That guy's life, my life, your life. And if you see fit to lay your hands to that which does not belong to you, then your life is forfeit in return. Pretty straightforward. You know. So I got the guy on the other end of the phone. He's like, Well, that's that's kind of tough. And I said, I understand. I said, You gotta understand. You know, big picture here. Scripture talks about three different pillars of authority. There is there is the state, there is the family, and there is the church. They don't overlap. You know, this is not the job of the family. This is not the job of the church, this is the job of the state. This is what scripture teaches, it's real clear. So what's your question? Well, I'm teaching it to fourth graders. <laughs> okay. So, the gospel's life and death. It's what it always is from the very beginning. And that's the whole point. This is why we need the good news is because of death. And yeah, there's stuff in here that is, that is shocking to the flesh. And the very first thing you need to do is learn how to eat it. It's the very, I'm telling you, when you come to Scripture, guys, you want some pastoral advice? When you come to Scripture, learn how to eat it. We've been saying it for years. This thing doesn't exist so that we can chop it up and, and, and make an argument for what we believe. This exists to convey to us the truth of God that we may understand it and believe it. So if there's something in here that rubs us the wrong way, it's not Scripture that needs to be changed and softened so that we can get along. It's us that needs to be changed so that we can conform. So the first thing you need to do, man, is eat it. I don't care what your political views are, blah, blah, blah. This informs all of that. Here it is. Now that you've eaten it, now that that's done, at two minutes till five, because that's the easy part, right? It's the easy part. Now that you've ate it and swallowed jagged little pill, if you stop there, you have wasted your time. And you have robbed God of the glory that is due His name. Man, look, look. You, yeah, you got to eat it. You do. And I, I feel like the church needs to hear more of that today. Because I think for far too long we've tried to figure out ways not to eat it. So I really do think we need to hear that. But if you stop there, you might as well not start it man, if this can't end in joy, if this can't end in rejoicing, if this can't end in boasting in what God is doing, then we are utter failures and we have not proclaimed the Gospel because what we have proclaimed is truth apart from good news. It has to be good news. So you need to go in there and you need to teach those fourth graders that this is a life and death deal and God's serious. He is not playing around. That when it comes to life that comes from him, it is his image. He is jealous of it. And he means it to the point that you can forfeit your life over these things. Now let's talk about how we can boast in that. Can't stop there. Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among us eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and I will cut him off from among his people for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you. I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement, To ransom you back. To make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. This is salvation that they know you. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In what manner? That He knows you and understands why you give the precepts you give. And so here's the Lord giving one of the precepts. Don't eat the blood. I'll cut you off. Why? Because the life has been seated in the blood. And I gave it to you for something that is more profound than your dinner. I gave it to you to buy you back. I gave it to you so that you could make atonement for your soul. And you go, well, you know, how does that work? The life of a man, the life of an animal. Oh, man, the Gospels tell us. The Gospel tells us, I guess I should say. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 9, in verse 11 through 12, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He who sheds the lifeblood of a man by man Shall his lifeblood be shed? Boast in the Lord. How? Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he told them, he said, You search these scriptures because you think in them you will find life, but they speak about me. You want to preach to fourth graders? Genesis chapter 9. It's not a capital punishment sermon. It's a sermon in which you boast in God. Man, you don't touch it because the life's in it. And God is good, He's good. And he has seen fit to give you a shadow and a copy of a testimony of what atonement looks like so that when his son comes, that he might be both just and justifier and pays his own blood as your debt, you will know what it looks like. God is good. You want to boast? Boast in Him. Not just in the fact that He gives the precept and you know how to dot your I's and cross your T's, but you know Him that does it and why He's doing it. And that what He is doing is good so that we can say, having been justified by what He's doing, having been justified by faith, we have peace, We have an inheritance. We boast. We rejoice in the fact that we know the one that does it. Friend, if you don't know him, you need to. I don't know how to convey that to you. I don't. Not to the level of urgency that is required. And I know you think we're sitting here preaching the choir that right, hardest core bunch to crack a Bible in Sebastian County yada 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 God knows your heart do you know his preaching the choir is good gets the choir ready to go out and preach For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, wretched, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you can't read Genesis chapter 9 and get to reconciliation, you failed. And it doesn't matter. It speaks about him. This is the boasting, this is the joy, this is the peace, this is the inheritance. That belongs only to those who have been justified by faith, from the one who is both just and justifier of ungodly enemies. If you haven't been, run. Run. Your soul depends on it. Come to Christ. Put your faith in one who is worthy to be believed in. And boast as hard, as loud, and as long as you can. Let's pray.